I told you there was a house in New Orleans that they called the Rising Sun? It had been the bane of many poor girl and me, oh God, I was one. I'd ask my baby sister not to do what I have done and stay away from the house they call the Rising Sun. My mother apparently is a tailor, and sometime in the late 1800s she sewed new blue jeans. My father was a gambler in a town called New Orleans. Thank you for tuning in with us tonight. I'm Pat. I'm Ian. And this is Do Check Out the Song. If you don't know what we're covering so far, well, you're going to figure it out in a short moment. On May 16th, 1964, the Animals released their version of House of the Rising Sun. And two months later, it became a huge hit in Britain, France, and the U.S. of A. The first song by a non-Beatle British band to become a number one hit in the U.S. It is possibly even the inspiration for Bob Dylan going electric. A song that at the time of the recording was 100 years old, possibly even older. Where did this song come from? Who wrote it? We're going to look into that this episode. Well, yeah, we're going to attempt to. Man, it's a it's a slippery slope. Like, yeah. uh, first thing <laughs> I did, you know, if we're going to keep the metaphor, I, I, I put my foot down, I slipped and fell, and there's a lot of different places this story takes you. Yeah, did you even know that the animal's version was possibly the reason why Dylan went electric? No, I had no idea, but that makes a lot of sense. Just because I honestly, like, I've, I've, I've loved the animal's version. I love the song. I play the song. I love Bob Dylan, and I know about the whole situation. I still didn't realize it was only two years. Like, between when Bob Dylan released his version of it and the animals released their version, two years. That's yeah, it. and apparently when he heard this version on the radio, he stopped the car Turn the radio up, got out of his car, and just start dancing around like, oh, this is it. Oh, man. It just, you know, just start freaking out. I bet he did. Like, especially, you know, we've all had the privilege of riding around in cars, playing loud music, enjoying scenery. Yeah. 1962 is probably the era when those speakers in the cars start to become more playable, more listenable. You know right. what I mean? It's not really like hissy static anymore. You could probably catch a little bass off that. Yeah, and I always assumed that it was based off Jimi Hendrix, why he went electric, you know, because he covered Bob Dylan's song, and it just blew up from there. But apparently, this is possibly even more. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of the case with Bob Dylan after 1965 that he's a day late and dollar short every time he tries to do something. You know, it's uh, <laughs> no, no, no insult to the man. We keep bringing him up during this fucking show some reason. but uh, Oh, well, he'll get some more mention later on, too. Yeah, exactly. He's just going to get more mention as we get farther and farther into history. But still, this is a really, really interesting dig. We we all love the song. Like like I said, I've played it. I can play it on end, like a couple instruments. We've done it at... Me and Ian have literally played this song at open mics together. Oh, yeah. Like this, you know, after after way too many in, intoxicating <laughs> And I'm sure it was our, absolutely terrible. Our go-to our go drunken song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, it, if we've had too much, we could still play House of the Rising Sun. That's what we thought, anyway. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure any recordings will prove otherwise, but we're not here to berate ourselves. Moving forward. Yeah, so if you guys did not know... This is a traditional folk song, or at least it's based off a traditional folk song. You know, House of the Rising Sun. Also, you know, some people called it the Rising Sun Blues. You know, it kind of tells the life in New Orleans, you know, back in the days when poverty was the fate of most people. Yeah, and then also the things that might happen when you're a, when you're a rambling, gambling man, and also when you in some instances, are a lady working as a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get a little more into that in a moment, but... But yeah, nobody really knows who authored The House of the Rising Sun. I, I, 
it almost just kind of, especially back in the 1800s when it started to become popular, you know, who knows who stole what from who, right? Well, especially in this era, it's 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 wretched with the the way that the railroad steals everyone's songs and plays it everywhere and everyone enjoys everyone's songs and like it's actually I, i'm joking it was great <laughs> everybody got a really bunch of cool songs out of it and everybody still got to record them so whatever and then who knows where the tradition even came from i mean it might not even be a house in new orleans maybe the lyrics got changed possibly yeah i mean the <laughs> Well, we're the, the lyrics were most definitely changed multiple times. I don't know if anybody's ever listened to any version, but the animals version, uh, no two if versions. If you haven't, you really should listen yeah, to other versions yeah, too. You, you really should, but there no two versions are identical unless it's somebody like doing a cover of the animals version. I know there's a lot of people in the modern era who just do covers of the animals version, not realizing that. Yeah, but e- even then. Uh, a lot of the modern ones will change lyrics here here and there, too. Yeah, because they understand the concept and the, the custom without even being aware of it, because that's the way folk traditions work. People are just kind of already aware of it, and your brain just kind of naturally does it, and then suddenly everybody's singing well, along. You, you, I mean, it's a natural musician thing. You want to take a song that exists and kind of make it your own, put your own spin on it, whether it's new lyrics or a new chord progression you know, new, like, solo change, whatever, you know, you want to put your own spin on it. That's a, a musician thing. Yeah, and having played folk music, you know, when you play, like, live on stage a whole bunch of times with the same song, it's only invariable that you just randomly start changing the way that things are said for no good reason. Like, you know, I, I assume it happens less in, like, you know, super orchestratic singing and, you know, maybe, like, screaming, but... With folk singers, you're just kind of like singing and talking, and you just end up like switching words around or doing, you know, long versions of stuff, and almost kind of like the original freestyle rap. Exactly, it's in in very very much so. If you if you really look into a lot of it, like you know, and you can say whatever, folks, a bunch of crusty white people. But I would like to call back to the fact that uh, as we are recording this right now, uh, we are also uploading an episode in the past where uh, I'm actually going to have to retcon something from before <laughs> we get any farther. I made a boo-boo in the Lead Belly episode. I said that Gambler's Blues was a likely root of this song, and I was incorrect. It's actually a likely root of a very, another song that's dear couple, to me. A couple of different songs. Well, a couple of different yeah. songs. Yeah, Gambler's Blues became a many different songs, but it was I was thinking of St. James Infirmary Blues and not House of the Rising Sun, so I apologize to everybody outright moving forward. And there's one correction of the episode so far. Uh oh, uh oh! Ian made a boo boo. I got one later. I'm gonna I'm gonna blow his up so that mine looks small in comparison. <laughs> Everybody, look at Ian. Well, it's <laughs> goddamn. <laughs> We're waiting. And so, musicologists say that most likely this song is based off a broadside ballad tradition. Now, if you don't know what they are, no, I have no idea what a broadside ballad is. That sounds like something you would shoot out of a ship. It's not really that. They were really popular between the 16th and 19th century. And unlike traditional ballads, they were more epic in nature. You know, they they were about love, religion, legends, wonders, even drinking songs. But the big thing is they came with a broadsheet that they would pass out to people so they can kind of sing along with the song at the same time. Oh, why didn't I ever think of that? I should do that. Go to all the go to the open mic. You just pass everybody out the lyrics. That'd be that'd be terrible. <laughs> You'd go so bad. <laughs> yeah, I know what you sing about. People are gonna look at that and go, "I'm not singing this." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's PG thirteen, whatever. But I don't know. You know, it's, 
seems kind of cool, you know, just like a way to hype the crowd up and get them into it too, you know. Yeah, I'm sure it played really well in the 1800s. You know, when you yeah. go to you go to a pub, nobody like there's and nobody's got like any sort of uh, they don't care. They're just trying to have fun. You pass everybody the lyrics out and start playing a song. People are probably gonna sing along. Oh yeah, now especially if it's a catchy tune, right? Well, now everybody's all snooty. You know, they're scared that like somebody's gonna get a video or somebody's gonna see them. Oh, or they're whatever. definitely gonna get a video yeah, or at exactly. least hold up their phone and pretend it's a lighter. Yeah, no, yeah, so <laughs> some weird shit like that. But back then, you could get away with it. I mean, oh, I'd man. say 1800s. You just you sing some stupid weird song. I just, just I just got it. a terrible image of them trying to light a candle so they could hold it up during the song. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sure it happened exactly like that is where all the oh that's what they call a barn burner <laughs> Ooh, i like what you yeah. did there all right we should probably get into the first portion of this our director ian this evening is uh bearing a little extra weight in our uh in our story structure yeah maybe a little well and so the main chord progressions of the song that kind of became popular they're kind of based off this thing called pesamezos oh well, okay i got i gotta take that back they were probably based off this thing called the Passamezzo Moderno. Now, if you don't know music, it's kind of hard to explain. It's just, it's a very strict chord progression. And later in the 20th century, it pretty much became like the 12-bar blues. You know, I mean, America kind of shifted it to be the 12-bar blues. And really all they did was just fuller structure of uh, chords and like cut them in half and put some more chord switches in there, which became the 12 bar, 12 bar blues. And if you don't know the 12 bar blues, I mean, there's so many musicians that do that. Yeah. I, I question why you're listening to this podcast, but I also praise you for being this far at, if you don't know what the 12 bar blues is and you're here, congratulations. Yeah. 12 bar blues, like Ian was saying, is just a, it's, it's a classical form of like playing music. You know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of a, it's a simple thing that you can apply to multiple chord patterns. That's easy to play. And isn't necessarily easy to play in a bad way where it allows you to do a lot of expression because it's not a lot of complexity you know, or complexity. The biggest example of like what a 12 bar blues is. If you listen to like most BB King songs, BB King, you know, really is like the reigning example of the 12 bar blues. We'll, I'll make sure to put some songs in our Spotify for that, too, so you, you can actually get a really good idea of it. A lot of examples is, like, Roadhouse Blues, if you've ever heard that, yeah. that late 70s. I want to say, like, almost Stevie Ray Vaughan, but I think Stevie Ray Vaughan did a lot of other stuff, too, but just because he's such a fantastic guitarist or yeah. guitar player. Yeah, the hardest part is, like, I could explain it in front of somebody if I had a guitar on my lap and actually show them. I'm just having a hard time, like, verbalizing. So I think when you guys check out our Spotify, we'll definitely throw some really good examples of 12-bar blues in there. Yeah, well, exactly. What it breaks down to is a very simplified version of, or a very simplified chord pattern that makes yeah. soloing easier. Yeah, Essentially, it, it, it it's cuts. a very basic structure that these 12-bar blues, like, play over, and then it, it really just, you can ramp off the solos off that. Yeah, it's it's just a platform in which solos are uh, easier to play, I guess, is the best way to do it. Well, and so we talked about the origins of possibly where these chords came from, but really let's talk about the songs that were possibly the inspiration for this, right? Which uh, comes down to actually a whole bunch of them. Like I said, it's, it's not what I said earlier. It's not Gambler's Blues, so please don't take that home today. Nope. The first one is a song called The Unfortunate Rake. 
the earliest version of this is basically about a young man dying of syphilis. Which it actually is, the, ironically enough, a, a likely theme that is carried along even to today. Right. It's likely the predominant theme of the song, even through all of the versions, comes down to that you're dying for whatever it is. Yeah, even, you're suffering from something. Yeah, exactly. So uh, in a lot of the female perspectives, it's kind of... If you want to draw a lot from it, it's that, uh, you know, the, the prostitute in the brothel and she's got whatever it is that's killing her. Or if you, uh, you know, you take the yeah. male perspective, you've caught it from this brothel. And that's actually the original version was a lot of times a guy who caught it from a brothel. But it was supposed to be romantic because in the really, right. the English versions, it was supposed to be like. You know, thanks, baby. I know you gave me syphilis and I'm dying, but, you know, <laughs> we that, had a good that, time. that last line that, you know, it's it's converted to House of the Rising Sun now. And, we, yeah. were, you know, in England, it probably wasn't that. But that last line still persists where it's like, and I'm going back down, you know, to die. Yeah. Essentially at that old house. And then you, you realize like, oh, that guy knows he's dying anyways yeah. and doesn't give a fuck or that lady or whatever it is. There is also a possibly alternate version where it might even be a prison. Like, some people think they, you might be stuck in a prison, you get out, but you know you're going back in. Yeah, exactly. And the, there's, there's oh, <laughs> we, we kind of have to give you the caveat multiple times through all of this. There is so many possible, like, reasons why this song exists. And that's because, as we've discussed before... In the folk terms, in how folklore works and, you know, persists generation to generation, the truth is a very, very small amount of what actually matters as to what we remember as people. Right. And the lyrics are just vague enough to where people can really kind of bring their own interpretation to it in any way they want, you know. Yeah, exactly. And then each generation interprets their own version of it and sings their own version, yet worsening the situation multiple, you know. <laughs> And bam, you got an iconic song that somehow lives forever, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what we call enigmatic. Fuck iconic. <laughs> you know, they, you want to sit all day and think about House of the Rising Sun. Like, you could listen to ten versions of it, and each song could be a little bit different of the same story, or they could be ten different stories, depending on what your day is. Yeah. And the next one, it, it kind of, like, this one holds, like, real dear to my heart, because I just there's a beautiful version of this song that I love. But the song's called Maddie Groves. It's also known as Little Musgrave and Lady Barnard or just Little Musgrave. You know, there, you can find all these versions by a bunch of different artists. The version I'm talking about, though, definitely like my first true throwout. Dude, check this song. It was it was our warm up song tonight. It was Maddie Groves by Doc Watson. Oh, I love this song. It's beautiful. It really is. It's a great song. I, I Usually what we do, just to give you a little behind the scenes here, is when we're sitting getting ready, you know, making sure we got all our... Uh, notes ready and all our songs we put a song in the background usually we're talking back and forth during that we weren't talking back and forth we each quietly and silently enjoyed that song to an immense measure oh yeah the song's just so beautiful just the way he finger picks a song oh god it guitarist dream yeah, right just, there oh just, man just wait till after the episode you can go check out the spotify <laughs> and then it'll, you'll know this one will definitely be on there and so this song kind of describes like an adulterous love affair between a young man and a noble woman. Unfortunately, it ends when the husband discovers it and kills them both. That's a, kind of the same thing. Not. I mean, it kind of has the similar theme. I think it's the structure of the song. Exactly. You know, you come down to that where you could take a tragic song and kind of have that that overall structure of it. But if you really listen to these, any of the versions of like Maddie Grove. Very rarely do you even 
sniff House of the Rising Sun. Yeah, on. the stories definitely don't seem similar to me, but there's kind of a similar structure in it. Yeah, well, it all comes down to that, like, every bar is a single chord, you know, that sort of that, yeah. that long, hard drumming of, of strums or whatever it may be, whatever stringed instrument drives the tune. It's always that, you know, they, not fast chord changes. There's not a lot of, like, soloing until the, the spaces. And yeah. the spaces really seem to drag a... I don't know, draw a lot of attention because of the space and the way, like, the the weight of the song. Like, the words are just so good, like, in both of these songs. Oh, yeah. That it, it you have those spaces between where you're still processing what you heard and then, the you know, whatever solo enactment may be, it really starts to kick in. If you have a solo, I mean, really, the solo didn't really come into these songs till you know, it became a modern song, you know? Yeah, well, we can think the... Uh, <laughs> Thank the animals for that, because there's not a solo in the Bob Dylan version two years before. So <laughs> I, think the, I think that's pretty easy to lock down, because every version after 1964 suddenly has the rockin' solo in it. <laughs> well, and the other possible source that I came from was just French music in general. So in France, they often used a sunburst as like a decorative insignia, you know, dating all the way back to Louis the Fourteenth. Yeah, I've, I've I've seen the insignia just on like you know like historical things. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, and so they think that possibly you know French immigrants came over, especially you know since it's based in Louisiana. You know, a lot of French people immigrated to Louisiana. You know, there's possibly that origin of the Rising Sun, and maybe that's where the Rising Sun name and tradition came from. Huh. That's that's interesting. I I kind of like that. So, was there a house called the Rising Sun in New Orleans? I mean, well, yeah, 100%. I can prove to you right now that there was a house in New Orleans that not only they called the Rising Sun, but registered in with the directory as the Rising Sun. But not Which just one. one. I not, mean, there not was just, m- not just one. Right. There's, I mean, there's, there's so lot. many houses. Like in 1821. L.S. Hotchkiss and company purchased an advertisement in the Louisiana Gazette for a Rising Sun Hotel on Conte Street. Yep, and as far as we can tell, in New Orleans, this is the earliest Rising Sun building. At least a bit, at least... At least sur- that you can find in recorded history. Yeah, sur- surviving history. But uh, honestly, like, we start to get into it now. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on this because I actually, like, you know... In the beginning, it was a thing like, you know, you're a little naive and you think, maybe I'm going to get all the right information. And We're going to know exactly yeah, where this came I'm, from. I'm going to be like, oh, shit, I'm, a, I'm the man who discovered the House of the Rising Sun. Guys, I wanna, I'm want i going to burst your bubble right now. I'm not the man who discovered the House of the Rising Sun because we still don't know. Nobody really knows. But I can tell you, uh, 1921 and this building that burned down in 1922, probably not the, uh, not the origin. Maybe. I don't but, know. I mean. But. I would say that this building right here is likely the inspiration. Ooh, I like that. Because even in the ads that they had for this, this hotel would maintain the best entertainment, which this house has enjoyed for the past 20 years. That, by the way, uh, based on the date of this inscription, would make that 1801 that they opened. Yep. And there's even a little bit more suggestion in there, possibly prostitution, where they... Say, and I quote, gentlemen here relay upon finding attentive servants. Oh. Yeah. I think that sounds, that's a nice way to say prostitutionized. 
But, I mean, if they were really serving for 20 years at this point, that would only be 80 years after the founding. The The founding of New Orleans is right. 1718. Well, and so, like you briefly mentioned, in 1822, this hotel did catch on fire. Yep, and that's we're lucky enough to have that to be just because of the article in the paper. A lot of this is so much like the papers have been saved that we are just lucky enough to have that information. Well, in the remains of this hotel, they did find fancy glassware, wine bottles, items of jewelry. They also they did also find postcards with nude ladies on it. Yep. This didn't happen till many years later, by the way. So some some man owned this property many many years afterwards, and he died, and his wife inherited it, and decided to reven- or, uh, remodel the location. <laughs> yep. And they also found like numerous amounts of rouge pots or galley pots, which in history has been suggested to show like prostitution, but. You know, maybe it also could have been associated with single men, a.k.a. dandyism. If you don't know what that is, just look it up. I don't really feel like explaining it. Yeah, we're not dude-checking dandyism. That's for sure. Nothing wrong with dandyism, but not up our alley. So, if you don't find your answers here at this location, if you believe that it's been around for 20 years based on the advertisement, because that makes sense, but it could also be at that point to where, you know, maybe not. Because once you really start to look into it, it looks like this folk song originated a lot around the railroad lines. Oh, yeah. So uh, one of the things that we actually ran into, and there was multiple, I would say, I'm not going to cite anyone because there was so many instances of people talking about this. But one of the things that people talked about the origin of this song is the, the year the railroad came to town. And that would be April 23rd, 1831. Yeah, so that's ten years after this this uh, this House of the Rising Sun. This imported. advertisement came out. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, it yeah, I guess uh, it would be nine years after it burned down because it burned down a year later. Yeah. So here's where we start to get it, where it starts to get interesting. So we're gonna f- call our first couple clues in from the actual source songs that we're kind of uh, working with. These first recordings, and I say in quotation marks, first recordings. Yeah, there was a few more before these. There were a few more b- before these, but these are the kind of what we're gonna start working with to kind of give us an idea of where our uh, our location might be. So we got the first one in 1937 in Tennessee. Yep, and Alan Lomax was actually traveling. You know, around the, the East Coast and the South, you know, looking for American... Well, they were really just traveling across the Appalachian Mountains, looking for, you know, like people to record that, you know, didn't ever leave their hometown. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's good to note at this point when in... Or when that uh, railroad connected to New Orleans and it would have kind of, you know, this... Yeah, this, once, once that railroad came there if that song was originally from new orleans then it spread out and spread across america because that was the only way to get a song out of a town was to travel it fast and it's also well known that railroad workers and railroad uh, like the people who rode the railroad also carried like songs that they took from one location to another yep and that's where a lot of folk traditions come as they would carry these songs you know from one railroad to another and it would get twisted and changed and that's kind of how folk tradition works but we have, so uh, it's it's a female who records this 37 version, correct? Yeah, and so in Middlesbrough, Kentucky, Alan Lomax met a 16-year-old named Georgia Turner, a poor miner's daughter, and when he heard her version of the Rising Sun Blues, he really wanted to record it. And so he recorded it. All she does is sing it. There's no music along with it, but it's like word for word, like 
the the 30s tradition the way it's written out you know like it's very very close to even the animals version yeah really close to that too and when he asked her where she learned this song she said oh i learned it from my parents and my grandparents they used to sing it on the porch yeah, exactly. And you could you could kind of expound that to, you know, railroad tradition or, or mining tradition, excuse me. And while he was traveling, he even ran into two more people in Tennessee that he recorded. Never released it, but he did record it. And then he asked where they learned it from. And they even said their grandparents. So so here's our second clue. So now we've got, uh, what, 150 miles apart? Uh, 150 miles apart. Just barely being connected by railroads each recording our first evidential songs you know we could take all the hearsay we want we could take all the third class you know my my friend heard this song and you know blah 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 we're working with the evidence today because i actually really wanted to at least get a good idea where this fucking place was because it is enigmatic not just to me but to american culture and you know we we knew it wasn't gonna I mean, I, once again gonna burst your bubble there's no surprise ending where i tell you guys where it all is because there's we didn't, we didn't bust the House of the Rising Sun somewhere in New Orleans. There's even a 330-page book of a guy trying to figure out where the origin was, and he couldn't really. He yeah. just had some ideas. And he, he, he wrote a really good book, so please, by all means, go check out... Chasing the Rising Sun. Yeah, Chasing the Rising Sun. It's a fucking amazing book. I wasn't able to read it completely before this, but I, I, I'm going to go read the whole thing after we're done well, with yeah, this. Well, yeah, we so didn't even know it existed. Yeah, I tried. I really did. I got through so much of it as much as possible, but it just wasn't going to be a thing. Maybe on a, another venture of ours, we'll maybe talk about the book later or something. You never know. It, it really was just a fantastic read, and it really does. If you like American folk culture and like that sort of thing, it's it's just so interesting. And so it seems like after this, like the Rising Sun name, you know, kind of started, you know, getting thrown into businesses and stuff. Yeah. Like in 1930. 1930- so, yeah. We, so we were talking about <laughs> inspirations. Yeah. So it kind of seems like about, what, 20 years later? Well, the first like instance is 1838. And it's uh, the Rising Sun Coffee House on 9 Old Levy Street. Yeah, by the way, uh, I tried to kind of, you know, set up a map and do some, uh, some you know, more detective work. All these uh, all these dates or all these uh, addresses, guess what? They changed in uh, what year? Let's, uh, 1894. Yeah, 1894. Fucking 1894. Right after all of this happens, all yep. of this important time, they just change all the addresses around. Yeah. Just to completely fuck my life over. <laughs> and, well, and there was even like in 1881, a rising sun, you know, on Bourbon Street in 1882. There was a rising, a different rising sun on Bourbon Street in 1883. There was a, a rising sun on Peter Street in 1884. There was a rising sun on Dumaine Street. Like, it just started it, becoming yeah, it a name. Stop. It, and this is all from the actual registry. This is uh, a lot of this stuff is available to the public. Yeah, and these were all in the French Quarter too. So I mean, maybe, possibly going back to the French origin of the song. Speaking of the French origin. Uh, we talked about the flimsy secondary chance that this wasn't from one of these English folk tunes, that it could be related to French. Possibly. Well, when digging a little farther, it turns out that there was another very questionable business in New Orleans. 
So this was in 1862 during the Union occupation. Yeah, so during the Union occupation, and it was shut down randomly afterwards because... In 1874. Yeah, in 1874. So it only lasted 12 years. Yeah, so, I mean, it's shut down multi- or shut down right after the government really fully assumes itself after the occupations, and it starts to become more normal, like, governmentally. So, I mean, you take those kind of inclinations all you want, and it's the official name of this building is what, and It's the Rising Sun... No, that's the weird thing. There's no actual, like, official name, but its owner was Madame Marianne Le Soleil Levant. Oh, and guess what, ladies and gentlemen? If you uh, smash that last name into Google Translate, Levant, oh, yeah, Levant in French means rising sun. Oh. And if you really, really, like a lot of people like to literally dig into the words of this song, which I as a scholar of folklore, but also a scholar of like trying to find the real answer to stuff, think that that's a stupid idea because, uh, you know, the, the words are supposed to be fanciful by design. But those who dig really hard into the words themselves note that this song never makes, never makes reference to a real brothel in any of the originating pieces. Yeah. And if you were questioning whether this was a brothel or not, she even claimed that she kept the men of the town busy while providing a livelihood for her girls. Oh, shit. This house, ironically enough, in an almost identical situation to the 1821 house, this house as well was uh, renovated by another lady some years later, finding other evidences. I think earlier I might have mentioned that or uh, mentioned the or another house in the nineteen twenty or uh, a situation in the nineteen twenty one house that I think I was getting confused now that I uh, specifically look back to my notes here. The uh, the lady with the husband who passed away who inherited and uh, renovated this location was the Levant House, and this is where they found the nudie postcards and other oh, small okay. portions of things. That makes in the more walls. sense. So, yeah, it, it was not in the uh, the 1921 location, as I stated earlier, so I, I apologize for that. Like we said, this is very convoluted. Like yeah, it, it, it t- We had to do a double dive on this just to get figure out how we were going to talk about it. Like We picked this subject thinking it was going to be cool, and we did not know how intricate everything was going to get. Oh, yeah, you want to talk about intricate? It gets worse. Oh, yeah, what's that? So we got the uh, the Levant House, uh, 1862 to what year? To 1874. To 1874. So there's kind of an important year that's kind of important to all the subject matter in almost every version of this song. At least every version we know. In 1873, we have the advent of the blue jeans. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, my mother, she's a tailor. And she, she sews, sews these, these new, new blue, blue jeans. jeans. And this version, every version, has this line in it. Blue jeans were actually invented before this, but they didn't become popular until 1873 because they were never mass produced. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're not blue jeans. They're what, short overalls or something like yeah. that? They're, they're, they're cut face overalls, which is just blue jeans. <laughs> yeah, but this is kind of really like this style of blue jeans that we know of blue jeans is when they were invented. Yep, so that's that's right there, 1873, and then the but the actual uh, the House of the Rising Sun in quotation marks that we're highlighting right here uh, is goes out of business in 1874. I mean, if you really want to draw yourself a conclusion here, and this is the best I have to offer you right now, if you want to draw yourself a conclusion here, 
the modern version of that song could not exist. And you know why they say the uh, she sews these new blue jeans? Because they were new. Because they're brand fucking new. And so, you know, if you really want to take that into effect, it had to have been in the final years of this uh, establishment, Mrs. Levant's establishment, Miss Rising Sun. You know, I wanted better answers. I really swear to God, when I started, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to fucking detective this shit out and... Really, to even get this close still helps and still makes me feel better. But what the fuck, man? I wanted a cool answer. I wanted, like, a gambler's name and some, like, crime scene photos. None of that shit. Fiction has led me wrong. (laughs) So, as we mentioned, in Louisiana, there's lots of mentions of different rising suns. In 1888, all the way up really till 1903, there's various different forms of what they would call, like, the Rising Sons of Liberty Hall, the Rising Sons of Liberty Benevolent Association, you know, just all throughout, and they're all recorded. And so, you know, they're probably just taking off more of this name, this tradition. Yeah, and it, and this couldn't, you know, be connected or it could be, you know, not connected at all. But it is funnily connected to another episode we just made. So, I mean, if you've been really following the chronology, you know when Bebop was creating those little clubs uh, after Jazz Nights? This is a similar situation, but just a, a far previous version to it. Uh, the people who hung out in these halls and plays music have a lot of the roots of what the early forms of different, like swing jazz and other other various forms of New England or uh, New Orleans jazz that came out. Right. So I mean, that's kind of a cool throwback to our other episode. It has nothing to do with this mystery and didn't take us anywhere, but I wanted to give it to you guys anyways because you know luscious knowledge. And so now we're getting to the point where it's starting to get recorded, like. Not so much musically, but the first time these lyrics were ever printed was in this old publication called The Adventure Magazine. And these lyrics were actually printed in a music column called Old Songs Men Have Sung. And these lyrics were printed by an author named Robert Winslow Gordon in 1925. And, you know, it even starts out the same way. Like, it starts off, there is a house in New Orleans called The Rising Sun. It's been the ruin of many a poor girl. Great God. For I am one. For I am one. Yeah, that, that line is, every everybody trips it up. That's why so many modern versions skip it or change it. So now I get to my first correction. Oh, wee woo, wee woo. Everyone pay attention to Ian. He was more wrong than I was. Eh, we'll see. So in the Mayo episode, I claim that the original. Oh, that's House old for, school. Yeah. That's number one. That's number two. No, well, number one. Yeah. Damn, that is number one. I can't believe that was so far. That was the so first longer. episode. I feel nostalgic. Well, I mentioned that this version of The House of the Rising Sun was possibly the original recording. It's not. On September 6, 1933, Gwen Foster and Clarence Tom Ashley records The Rising Sun Blues, the first known recording of this song ever. And this is... Four years before we mentioned Alan Lomax recording it in Kentucky with Georgia Turner. Yep. So now you really want to fuck with your uh, with your timeline there. Oh shit, we can't do that because uh, actually, wait, what what year would that is that like recorded? Nineteen thirty three. So I mean, actually, our timeline still works. I mean, I, I there for a second I thought uh, threw it apart, but no, there's so many years between there that uh, that actually uh, doesn't affect us at all. And then, you know, now we get to where, like, everybody's starting to record it. In 1935, Homer Callahan 
from Central North Carolina records a version of it under a more commercial name, apparently, called Rounder's Luck, which is actually a pretty cool name. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it sounds pretty cool. But it also, once again, just brings back to that Gambler's Blues thing, and I just want to make another mistake. Roy Acuff recorded it in 1938, giving it his, you know, country twang. Ooh, this, yeah, version, it's, this version is, dude, check out the songable. Oh, yeah, this one's going to be on Spotify for sure. Yeah, it's it's a salty version. It's great. Lead Belly, we mentioned Lead Belly recording this. I did not know he recorded two versions of this in 1944. One of them's called House of the Rising Sun, and the other one's called In New Orleans. Oh, I didn't know about the second version. Yeah, that one has kind of more of like a 2-4 feel to it. It's a different take than like the more tra- uh, traditional sound. It's kind of cool. Huh, I, I'll have to go check that out, and I hope that goes on Spotify as well, because that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, man, the, the Spotify for this. I apologize for people who just throw the whole Spotify on after an episode. This is just going to be the same song over <laughs> and over again. So I, if you guys really like House of the Rising Sun, we're going to make that happen. Otherwise, like maybe we'll throw something in there that's not the House of the Rising Sun, but I'm not uh, we'll sure. We'll throw a few things in. Yeah, find something that's on theme but not House of the Rising Sun over and over again. Yeah, we'll try and at least make it interesting. You know, Woody Guthrie recorded his own version. I mean, so yeah. many people recorded versions in this era. I literally didn't want to list them all because it's it impossible. Be, There's it, too many. Well, there, it'd be like another 20 minutes of me going, and then they recorded it in this uh, year, and they recorded it in this year. But now we get to 1962, Bob Dylan's first release, first album, self-titled, includes the version of House of the Rising Sun. His version, right? <laughs> so not a, first of all and this all comes from this documentary uh that we source a lot of this reference from alone is a uh, no direction home a bob dylan documentary that is oh, quite, yeah. quite inter- or interesting i'm gonna do check out this just because if you're bored and you like bob dylan check this documentary out yeah, it's it is, four hours long by the way two is, parts yeah it is, it is brutal in the best way and i don't mean brutal like hard to watch like the the things that are covered in this uh, documentary are, uh, they're very showing of Bob Dylan. And yeah. that's why you'll notice that, like, me and him, we're both great Bob Dylan fans. and Hugely pro- inspired by him. Hugely inspired by him. But we probably list higher on his antagonist list than anyone else, too, because we're, like, you know, we don't hate him. But also, I, I you know. This, ep- this, this documentary kind of shows his, how much of an asshole he could really be at times. And I, I, I swear to God, I would be the guy who yelled Judas at his electric concert. So I, <laughs> I understand. So, you know, I, I, we love Bob Dylan and everything we say is in great jest. And he's a fantastic musician. But uh, yeah, so we kind of got to talk about when he recorded this version, he took Dave Van Ronk's chord progression that was uniquely Dave Van Ronk's recorded it, changed a couple of lyrics around, and then went back to Dave Van Ronk and, and goes, hey, uh, I've been recording my fir- my first album. Is it cool if I use your version of House of the Rising Sun? And Dave Van Ronk goes, well, I'm about to record my own album, so I want to include that on there. And Bob Dylan kind of looks at him and goes, uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's uh-oh. a... That's a, that's a- We've talked about Dave Van Rock a couple of times because he really is great. But in this moment, you could see the like he's a little bit older and he's sitting there and he tells the story with that shit eating grin on his face because yeah. he knows like that's that was his whole that could have been a different thing for his career. Well, and so here's the thing, that was actually one of Dave Van Rock's highly requested songs when he was playing at the time, and so that was 
a big tune for him among his fans. Yep. Well, when Bob Dylan released that album, everybody thought he was covering Bob Dylan's version when Bob Dylan was really using his version. Oh, but Bob Dylan would get his equal beans. Oh, yeah, and... Dave Van Ronk laughed about this so much because when the Animals released their version two years later, everybody thought Bob Dylan was covering their version. Yep. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. And, and you know, that's why we really sweet, have to do sweet this. Sweet, sweet irony. That's why we have to do this episode because you know damn well there's people out there who hear someone at, you know, at an open mic doing House of the Rising Sun. They're like, oh, they're covering the Animals. Uh. Nope. You're covering the Animals, covering Bob Dylan, covering Dave Van Ronk. Covering uh, ancient history. Covering the English folk tradition, <laughs> mixed a little with the with the French folk tradition and a, a, a amalgamy. Because honestly, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's pretty obvious that the way this song was put together is of the English folk music tradition and comes across with the English bardic tradition. Easy. But I, I do think there's something in with that French because of the tradition of the rising sun that they have. Exactly. I think that the story subject matters leans heavily French. While it's almost like if you really want to start digging into it, it's almost like the from the perspective of an Englishman and the song like environment is a French environment. And I know that that's like super, super cutting mincing atoms at that point, but I think that that's a pretty interesting way to interpret it, and it's that's some sort of answers for us guys, right? Yeah, you know where you know exactly where it comes from now. Yeah, if anybody ever talks about House of the Rising Sun, you can drop kind of knowledge on them, They're the most knowledge that anyone else has. They aren't going to be able to find any evidence otherwise, unless by the time this podcast comes out, there's some House of the Rising evolution. But I don't think that's going to be a thing. Well, and so. I got a couple more mentions of the covers and more of the modern era. Like 1970, this band called Frigid Pink releases their version. And this is probably my favorite, more modern era version of the song. You know, more rock tradition. It's got more, you know, Weedley Wah solos and stuff like that. Kind of right up my alley. 1980, Dolly Parton does her own version. And I love this version. Oh, Dolly Parton's <laughs> awesome. Oh, I see. She's got like Dolly backup Parton singers and oh, stuff. It, oh, it's it, so great, uh, it's dude. Just, it's spicy, huh? I'm putting that one. Like, oh, it's so awesome. Dolly Parton can't, <laughs> Dolly Parton can't ruin one song. <laughs> and if you guys have no idea what the hell we're talking about, you probably heard the Five Finger Death Punch version where they oh mention a house in Sin City. So, you know, that's their change to the great song. You know, they got their chuggas and their weedly waws. You know, they try and meddle it up. Yeah, I, I get it. A Five Finger Death Punch, you're all really cool, and you guys drink Monster Energy drinks, but just stay away from House of the Rising Sun, man. Just don't, don't mess with my traditionals. Yeah, I used to really hate on them. But their lead guitar player, he really worked his ass off to be able to make this band. He started out playing guitar for like pop musicians in the in the early two thousands and stuff, and then graduated to play with Alice Cooper. You know, I mean, you get to play with Alice Cooper, he gets the best of the best musicians to to play with him. And, you know, then he decided to do his own thing with Five Finger Death Punch. It's actually kind of like you know, you see the evolution of this guy. Like, he just wanted to be a musician. Didn't matter what he was playing. And so, really, like, I used to talk so much shit about Five Finger Death Punch. But after seeing this guy's story, I kind of am like, okay, I'll, I'll back off on it. This guy is doing what he wants to do. It's awesome. I have a couple of close friends who also like them a lot. So, I won't spend a whole lot of time talking trash. Because that's not really what we're here for anyways, is it? We're here for the celebration of the House of the Rising Sun. Before we get to the last thoughts here, I'm obviously uh, going to waste another few seconds and arplessly thank you guys. 
anybody who listens for any fucking reason. You know what I mean? You guys rule. I hope that you had a good uh, time listening to us dive into the House of the Rising Sun because we had a damn fine time uh, researching this. We yeah, did. it was so much more convoluted than I thought. I thought there was like, this is where it came from, and you know, you're going to have exact points. And man, it was hard to narrate yeah and i i I feel like we uh once again are obviously doing something a little different Uh, as you notice we we started with people biographies and now we're kind of biography concepts or songs and you know i think that as do check out the song evolves uh we want to be able to do more uh abstract yeah abstract concepts is really a good way to put it because i would like to be able to cover things that not only are just interesting, but are things that you really don't get to talk about a lot. Because everybody just gets to talk about, you know, covering one person. And we're getting very, very close to starting to get into eras, you know, where electronic music, and or excuse me, electric music is going to start coming forward. And a lot of those subjects are covered a lot heavier than everything else. And we really want to make sure that we bring you those little pieces of history that you haven't already heard. Yeah, because we're learning along with you guys. I mean, we we literally just learned this last this information last week. I mean, I did not know that song could be that old. I I just thought it came from the 1850s, you know. And you even thought it was came from a different song, you know. I know you were confusing it with another one, but that's the crazy part about these old songs. Like, yeah, and I'm somebody who would honestly consider myself somebody who would know t- that type of stuff off the top of their head. Somebody who actually like knows you know, like folk traditionals and stuff, and I can make that misconception myself, which just further goes to show that whole fogginess about what really folk traditionals are and what they're from, and and this origin and this feeling behind them. Well, and it comes back to really what we started this whole podcast with is the myth behind the man or the myth behind the music, you know, selling your soul to the devil. Where did this actual song, this song came from here to this place, you know, it's about this and blah, blah, blah. Well, another person, you know, a couple blocks down will think it's completely different. It, you know, it's all about the myth. Yeah. And whether you sell your soul to the devil or you slash a man with a razor, you know, that's, it's. It is the folk origin that matters, and this song is the folk origin. I mean, I could honestly say there's a lot of really iconic songs and really great folk songs available. None of them top House of the Rising Sun for the American folk, like, iconic scene. And I don't think there's really, other than maybe one other, one or two other songs, I don't think there's ever been a... Another folk song that's been covered this many times. No, that actually not. That actually captures people's emotions with this because it's so, like, distraught and sad. And you, you feel the emotion. Even if you don't know exactly what it's about, you interpret it into your own feelings. And that's the beauty of the song. And on top of that, all done in A minor? Like, not to talk shit about modes or any, like, specific, <laughs> but A minor, for anyone who doesn't know, is just C major, and C major is just all of the white keys on the piano. That means this song doesn't, it, it has no sharps or flats in it at all. It's all whole tones the whole way through, just played from a different uh, position, and it is, it comes across with the emotional content of a song that you would come with, you would think comes with, like, know gypsy music or classical music with heavy movements and stuff and this is the first time that's just strumming a few chords emotionally enough that i think it really began to set forth what we are today as musicians yeah this was probably like the second song i ever learned on guitar 
Yeah, and it, 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 it's so interesting because so many people have the connection to it in a million different ways, whether your parents like the animals version or, you know, your grandpa was a Bob Dylan fan or you happen to find God knows which version. You happen to pick up if, a f- Five Finger Death Punch yeah, album. Yeah, if you're a metalhead and the first time you ever heard this song was Five Finger Death Punch, well, you're listening to a song that's a couple hundred years old at that point. And a point of reference for all musicians out there, you don't have to pay anybody royalties for making this song in any form or fashion in any convolution of the uh, lyrics because that's just the way it works. It's old enough. It doesn't uh, follow the copyright laws. Yeah, exactly. It is a traditional and is an American traditional, and it's stored in the Library of Congress. And I think, honestly, it is a huge portion of the origin of what America's folk myth used to be about. I mean, we're going to have to start covering later eras coming eventually, but if we're talking about classical folk era, like, you know, the beginning of America all the way up until 70s almost, this is the song that makes it and even through all the changes that we've rapidly come across over you know 40 years after that this song just can't be killed through it it nope. keeps coming house of the rising sun can't be stopped because it's a fantastic folk piece about a man or woman who has syphilis and just still goes to wherever they got syphilis from because they don't care and their mother makes blue jeans and so dude if you want to play the guitar dude learn to play house of the rising sun it's it's easy. Piano, easy. Any instrument uh, it, that is not based on a key. So any instrument besides like a, a woodwind or a horn, you're going to have no problem playing How's the Rising Sun on. It's a great start. So thank you for listening to Dude Check Out This Song. As always, uh, you know, check us out on whatever social media. Put stars on whatever you're listening on, and uh, we love you for listening. Yeah. And, you know... Please check out our Spotify, too, because, you know, every music we talk about, it's on there. You know, if you really want to hear the songs, check it out. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that it's a, it's a fantastic thing. You'd be able to listen to the podcast and you listen to the, uh, the playlist afterwards. It fills a lot of time and you still keep that theme going. And you get the references we're talking about. Yeah, oh, and just amazing amount of fucking badass music every week. Exactly. Like, a lot of this music we're familiar with, We've learned so much more. Yeah, we're we're not focused on what we're familiar with, and that's really uh, that's really paid off for us, like as as creators. And we thank anybody who's just even spending the time to listen to this. So you know what, dude, check out your guys' songs. Everybody, cover House of the Rising Sun. Have a good week. Good night.